This morning I titled my message, Appointed to Give Thanks. I found this just an amazing passage of Scripture. We're going back to the Old Testament today. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone. So, get that. To everyone, every person, a loaf of bread and a piece of meat and a cake of raisins. How generous. You know, you talk, you think about, I know churches we have in the past, uh, we have did food baskets around Thanksgiving to give to families. Uh, we didn't do it this year, but we've done some other things. But you think about that. Everyone in Israel, every man and woman, he gave a piece of meat, a cake of raisins, a loaf of bread. This was the, 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 the ultimate Thanksgiving uh, basket giveaway. Everyone in Israel. What a blessing. Because he was able to do it. How generous. When God blesses you, bless others. Amen? And he, talking of David, King David, and he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thanks, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. So he appointed men of Levi to give thanks to God every day, to give praise to the Lord. Aspha, the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, then Jael, Shemarmoth, Jahil, Mattathiah, Elab, Benaniah, and Obed-Edom. Jahil with stringed instruments and harps, but Aspha made music with cymbals. Benaniah and Jahaziel, the priests, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. That was the praise band. They had stringed instruments, they had cymbals, they had harps, they had trumpets. They're praising and worshiping the God of heaven. What we should do every day. And on that day, David first delivered the psalm into the hand of Aspha and his brethren to thank the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing psalms to Him. Talk of His wondrous works. Glory in His name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face forevermore. Remember His marvelous works which He has done. His wonders and His judgments and the judgments of His mouth. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your wonderful works. Father, we thank You for Your glorious presence in our lives. Lord, each and every day, we know that You are with us. We know that Your kingdom has come. We know that Your Spirit is upon us. And I pray Your Spirit, Lord God, would manifest itself today in this place. That You would manifest Yourself in our lives Father, that we would just give you the glory and the honor that you receive, that you need, that you are so worthy of. And Father, again, just help us to be faithful to you. Help us to serve you. I pray that your name would be lifted high today. And Father, that we would go forth and bear witness of your glorious 
name and the glorious wonders of your works. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, whenever we remember the marvelous works of God, does it not cause us to give thanks? It should cause us to give thanks. What are some of His wondrous works? I know Karen said it's named something you are thankful for, but what are some of God's wondrous works? Huh? The earth is part of His wondrous works. Anything else? The rain. Sunshine. The church. We spoke of the sun and the moon. That's part of His wondrous works. All of the creatures that inhabit the earth. Right, the turtles. When you think of all the things that God created, the food we eat, yeah, yes, gives us strength, sustenance. We couldn't survive without it. Water. We have so much to be thankful for. The clothes that we wear. You know, we, we think of Thanksgiving and oh, we, we all want to make sure we are thankful at that time. But every day, David appointed these to give thanks to the Lord every day. We need to give thankful, be thankful every single day. There was a famous British poet, Rudyard Kepling. And he was a very famous writer back in his day. And it's said that he made a great deal of money at his trade. A newspaper reporter came up to Rudyard one day and said, Mr. Kepling, I just read that somebody calculated that the money you make from your writings amounts to over $100 a word. Now, I know an author in here would say, boy, I'd love to have a, had $100 for every word that I wrote because I know how many thousands of words there are in there, right? But $100 a word. Mr. Kepling raised his eyebrows and said, Really? He says, I certainly wasn't aware of that. The reporter cynically reached into his pocket and pulled out a $100 bill and gave it to Kepling and said, Here's a $100 bill, Mr. Kepling. Now you give me one of your $100 words. Kepling looked at the $100 bill for a moment. He took it. He folded it up and he put it in his pocket and said, Thanks. Huh? Isn't that a good one? Thanks is indeed a hundred dollar word, is it not? But no, it's more like a million dollar word. Thanks is a million dollar word. It is. And is not probably spoken enough. Do we give thanks often enough? That's a great example. You know, if any nation should be thankful to God and grateful for His goodness, it is indeed the United States of America. And if any people in the United States of America should indeed be thankful, it is Christians. Should we not be so thankful and give thanks? You know, as I was said in reading last night, <clears throat> I pulled out one of my old Bibles that's in a case. It's in one of the leather cases. But as I was looking around in the case, I pulled out these little paper-cut hands that the children at the Caribbean Christian School for the Deaf gave to us all the way back, I still had these in this Bible, in 1996. We went there on a mission trip, my family, and I think there was 24 of us from Holy Cross Church. But these children, I, I, I meant to bring them, 
but they signed their name on it and they put thank you on there. You know, to they were just so grateful. You know, that doesn't do justice for the thankfulness that we was able to witness from those children. They were so grateful that we came to help build their school and their in the dorms, the place that they would live. And it just touched my heart. I'm thinking, thanks. Do we say it enough? <clears throat> do we truly have thankfulness in our hearts as often as we should? And then I thought of another mission trip that I went on without the family after Hurricane Hugo. And we actually put a roof on a trailer for a couple. And if you would have seen the tears in their eyes at the end of the week when we completed that job, and their thanks. My friends, thanks goes a long ways. We have so much to be thankful for. You know, our passage in First Chronicles, David appointed men of the tribe of Levi to give thanks, to commemorate. To commemorate means that it is, an, it is a special occasion. It's to be marked by, an, to remind us of a significant, significant, can't talk, significant event. In this passage, in this case, David and the people were celebrating the return of the Ark of the Covenant. Now listen, the Ark had not been in Jerusalem for many years. It was in Kerjath Jerem. It had been there for a long time. David and the people, they were busy about building their houses. David was building his palace. They neglected the ark. That symbolizes that they neglected their relationship with God because they were too busy about living their lives and not going and getting the ark and bringing it back where it belonged. Because what does the ark represent? The presence of God. It is the presence of God. When the ark is in the temple, the presence of God is there. So they were neglecting God. But now they, if you will, came to their senses. They brought the ark back. And they were celebrating, they were thankful to have God's presence back in the tabernacle. When he brought it back, this was actually his second attempt. Because a few months earlier, they went to bring the ark back. Look at the name. So David, either by ignorance or he just took it upon himself to do it the way he wanted to do it, in his first attempt to bring the ark back, they placed it on a cart. That's not the way God instructed that the ark would be carried and transported from one location to another. The ark had loops and it had poles. And God gave very specific instructions to how the ark was to be carried and transported. With the poles inserted, a man on each corner carrying the ark. But David says, no, we're going to put it on a cart. So when they came to the threshing floor, Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to try to grab it so that it wouldn't fall. He was struck dead. Now you think, well, that's cruel. No, it's not. Our God is a holy God and expects us to follow His instructions. If He just let it slide, then it makes Him not the holy God that He is. He gives us the instructions to follow. Are we faithful? So Uzzah was struck dead because he touched it. So for three months, David said, take the ark to Obed-Edom. 
Don't bring it here. But three months later, he says, okay, I'm ready. Lord, forgive me for doing this the wrong way the first time. So he brings the ark in. The ark is God's presence. What was in the ark? Well, in the ark was the tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on. That God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. So whenever they had the ark, they always, always had, rather the priests were in there, they had the symbolism of the law, which is God's present, that God gave to us. They also had in there the manna, a jar of the manna that God provided for the children of Israel while they wandered in the desert for 40 years. If you remember, if you've ever read the story, when they first came out of Egypt and they're wondering, they're complaining. They're like, what are we going to eat? Remember, there's over a million of them. What are we going to eat? Boy, I sure would like to go back to Egypt and have some of that stew that I had while I was there. But God provided manna for them for 40 years. So God provides for us. A constant provision comes from God. Always. Aaron's rod was in there. Remember the story of that rod? What is a rod? It's a dead stick. Just, you know, my interpretation. It's a dead stick. It's a piece of wood. But it bloomed. So it represents life. God can take these old dead lives and make us bloom. Give us life. Can He not? You know, when we think of all the things that God has done, and you think of David appointing men to give thanks, to praise God, it helps us understand, my friends, that it's not just the material things that we want to praise God for and thank Him for. I know... We, we sang that song. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And that's not a bad thing. It is a wonderful thing. I am blessed with so many things. We're blessed with family. We're all thankful for our family. We're thankful for the homes that we have. A place to stay warm. We're thankful for clothes to wear. We're thankful for our vehicles to drive. We're thankful for our job. We can go. I could go on and on. Count your blessings. We can be here till 2 o'clock. Me just naming my blessings, right? But number one on that list of our blessings that we thank Him for is His presence. That's what they were celebrating. That's what they were thankful for. God was back. My friends, that should be number one on our list every single day. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your presence. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Psalms 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help. He is still a present help today. God wanted to make sure, or David wanted to make sure that God was receiving the thanks that he deserves. The Apostle Paul made sure that the New Testament church understood that we are to give thanks also. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, he said, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
I know I've heard some people say, I just wish I knew what God's will was for my life. I just don't know what God's plan is, what God's will is. Well, I can tell you one thing that I know for certain that it is. We just read it. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. It is God's will that you give thanks in everything. Now, I know that this is something that some believers struggle with. What do you mean? Does God want me to give thanks because I just wrecked my car last week and I totaled it and now I don't have transportation? Do you expect me to give thanks because of that, uh, that bad report I just heard from the doctor? Well, how can I give thanks whenever the bills add up to more than what my paycheck that just came this week? Well, he says give thanks in everything. Give thanks in everything. Because He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Trust in Him. I talked about trust last week. Trust Him. Give thanks. We might not rejoice because of that, but give thanks in all things. Not for all things, but in all things. Find a way to give thanks. Trust that He is in control. That He can work things out. I said, the, the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, wondering how are we going to survive? But God made a way. Ephesians 5, 17-21 says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. So it doesn't say just give thanks for some things, but give thanks for all things. It is impossible, friends, to give thanks if we do not have a grateful heart. We must have a grateful heart. A grateful person is a happier person. A grateful person is a healthier person. A grateful person is a holier person. Because we know to whom our gratefulness is directed. And it is the Lord our God. It's not just good advice. It's not an option to be grateful and to be thankful. It is commanded. Leviticus 22.29 says, and this is the New Living Translation. I'm not sure if I sent that one. When you bring a thanksgiving offering to the Lord, sacrifice it properly so you will be accepted. And when I read that, I thought of Cain and Abel. You know, when you read the account of Cain and Abel, and we know that Cain brought his offering to the Lord, his grain offering to the Lord, it was not accepted by God. But Abel brought his, and it was accepted. We know that jealousy is what led to Cain killing Abel. But when you read that, it says Cain brought some of the grain before the Lord as an offering. But when it speaks of Abel's offering, Abel brought of the first fruit of the flock. The firstborn, rather, of the flock. So if Cain would have brought the first and the best before God, it would have been accepted. But more importantly, it was a matter of the heart. See, Abel was grateful. He was thankful to God for which He provided that He brought him the best. 
Cain was not grateful. So we need to bring our thanksgiving to God with a right heart, bring our offering. What is our offering? What is our sacrifice? A broken and contrite heart is what God desires. So let's be thankful and grateful to Him. Thanksgiving, we celebrate it every year. I want to just read some of this. It's history. And this is from Peter Marshall and David Manuel's account of the pilgrims initiating Thanksgiving. During the fall of 1621, and this is from the, the book entitled The Light and the Glory, tells how the pilgrims at Plymouth Rock endured extreme hardship to pioneer a new land. Three long months at sea, the Mayflower and the brutal winter left them ragged, malnourished, susceptible to disease. During the first four months of that winter, nearly half of the immigrants had succumbed to illness and died under the harsh strains of the barren lifestyle. The pilgrims' daily existence was a life-or-death battle to overcome constant hunger, sickness, and exposure to the elements. Crudely assembled houses made of mud daub were their only shelter from the icy New England winters. Because they were not yet knowledgeable about their new environment or the agriculture, the planting of gardens, the hostile conditions proved to be virtually fruitless. Every meal was portioned out meticulously. The death toll was a constant reminder of their fragility, and at one point, only five men were well enough to care for the sick. Despite their tribulations, the pilgrims thanked the Lord every day, petitioning Him for rehabilitation, and one morning during an ordinary worship service, the Lord sent tangible evidence that He had heard their prayers. Their church service was interrupted by an unexpected guest, an Algonquin Indian chief, who assessed their hopeless situation and returned with a helper named Squanto. The pilgrims, who had warred with the Indians before and lived with a continuous fear of being attacked by them, were astonished by their new friend's eagerness to provide much-needed assistance. Squanto, a Patuxent Indian who spoke English, taught the pilgrims how to hunt game, to trap, to plant corn, a staple that would eventually save their lives. When the harvest yielded more than the pilgrims could eat, Governor William Bradford, elected, their elected leader, declared a day of public thanksgiving. He invited the chief of a friendly neighboring Indian tribe to join their, tri their, join their tribute of thanksgiving. The pilgrims were excited to celebrate with their honored guest, but were completely shocked when they arrived with 90 other Indians. Although, go, although God had provided abundantly, their food supply would not accommodate a group of this size. They had no idea how they were going to feed their visitors. Despite their quandary, all worries were soon diminished. To their amazement, the ever-increasing thankfulness, the Indians had brought with them five dressed deers, 12 fat turkeys, over time, they taught the women how to make pudding, maple syrup, which is an Indian delicacy. Or no, the popcorn is an uh, Indian delicacy. But the pilgrims' trials were far from finished. Their plentiful autumn was followed by a particularly treacherous winter. Unfortunately, the weather proved to be the least of their ailments. In November, a ship called the Fortune dropped anchor in the harbor, and aboard the ship were 35 more colonists who brought with them no provisions of food, no extra clothing, no equipment for survival. Additionally, the oppression of the physical environment 
had become almost unbearable after 12, a 12-week 12 drought dried up their crops and withered their spirit. The newcomers arrived, had drained the already inadequate food rations, and there were no obvious resources for sustenance. At their lowest point, the pilgrims reduced to a daily ration of five kernels of corn apiece. In utter desperation, they fell to the knees and prayed for eight hours without ceasing. Five kernels of corn. Could you still give thanks? They did. God heard their supplications. Fourteen days of rain followed. A second day of thanksgiving was declared. Then they once again celebrated with their friends. We need to teach our children to give thanks. Teach our children to have a grateful heart. Romans 1, 18-23 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that we are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became foolish and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. We have to give God the glory. We have to give Him praise. When we praise Him, we are giving Him thanks. There were some that knew God, but yet they were not thankful. We need to be thankful. If we're down to five kernels of corn, let's thank Him. Let's praise Him. Thank Him for His presence in our lives. David gave thanks for the return of the ark. We need to give thanks to God for His presence in our lives every day through His Holy Spirit. I want to read one more modern day example of giving thanks to God in times of great trials. During the dark days of 1929, a group of ministers in, North, in the Northeast, all graduates of the Boston School of Theology, gathered to discuss how they should conduct their Thanksgiving Sunday service. Things were about as bad as they could possibly get with no sign of relief. The bread lines were desperately long, the stock market had plummeted, and the term Great Depression seemed an apt description for the mood of the country. The ministers thought that they should only lightly touch on the subject of thanksgiving, indifference to the human misery all about them. After all, what was there to be thankful for? But it was Dr. William Steiger, pastor of a large congregation in the city that rallied the group. This is not the time, he suggested, to give mere passing mention of thanksgiving. It is just the opposite. This is the time for the nation to get matters in perspective and thank God for the blessings that are always present, but perhaps suppressed due to intense hardship. The ministers struck upon something. The most interesting moments of thankfulness are not found in times of plenty, but they're found when difficult time, times abound. Their gratitude is not to be for something, but someone. 
My friends, are we there yet? Are we there when our thankfulness is not about the something, but someone? Namely, God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Is that enough? I pray that it is. I pray that we, when we sit down at a Thanksgiving dinner, I mean, we often would do that. Name something you're thankful for. I pray that God's number one on that list. Because God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to be number one with us. He wants to commune with us. He wants us to love Him not for the things that He gives us, but for who He is. For who He is and what He has done. That He has provided salvation. That He has made a way that we can be reconciled with Him. That relationship that was broken at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. It was broken. But God has made a way to restore that. And that way of restoration is only through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the cost that He paid on Calvary. That is the restoration. That is reason to give thanks. To be thankful that we can be stored and have God's presence in our lives today and every day. And every day, my friends, please give thanks. Give thanks to God. For Him. Not the things. Amen?